Uh, it's funny because Matt really does make good barbecue. Whatever you guys don't take, I'm going to get. <laughs> We're going to have a party with it, so I could just stop by and pick up some. Well, this morning uh, we are in the second week of a new series uh, through the book of Acts, and uh, I absolutely love um, the book of Acts. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the start of the early church, and there's just so many different things that we can learn as we read through the book. Today we're going to be looking at how we can know um, God's will. We're going to be looking at how we can know God's will from the perspective of the disciples as they replaced um, Judas, the one that betrayed uh, Jesus. Now, but first, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are good at waiting? Anybody likes it? Anybody? Is there anybody actually really good at waiting? Yeah, <laughs> a couple. Okay, I am not good at waiting. In fact, I'm good at a lot of things. I can talk to people about. Jesus, you know, I'm good at, uh, at racing, I'm good at building teams, but the one thing that I am probably the worst at is waiting. I have a hard time waiting. In fact, uh, my wife Carolyn, after we got married, had Katie, she got pregnant, and I tell you, uh, she called and told me that she was pregnant, and before she got home from the doctor, I had told everybody, and they were all calling her to congratulate her, and she's like, what did you do? And I was like, I couldn't wait, it was so exciting. <laughs> My daughter Natalie got uh, engaged at the end of last year, and so she said, please don't tell everybody yet. I had to sit on that. And then uh, we went out in March. Uh, she got married, and uh, I was sitting on all these great pictures, and I couldn't share any of them because she wanted to vet them first. And so, I don't know, there's been times when I've had to wait for things, and it just can be painful. Those are fun things to wait for. Not all of our waiting is fun. I have been uh, with many of you in the hospital. I've been with people as they're going through uh, pain and suffering or we've been going through different experiences in life. And sometimes we're waiting on what God has to do. And the outcome is not always uh, something that we're looking forward to. But one thing that I've really learned about waiting, and it's probably one of the most important lessons about waiting, is, is that if I'm not patient, if I don't wait, then I have the potential for missing out on something that God might have for us, as strange as that might seem. You see, God has predestined plans in place for us, and if we don't wait to hear from Him, then we are at risk of missing out on something better that God might have for us. might be missing out on a lesson that God has for us. God has predestined plans for us, and we need to wait on Him and not avoid the risk of getting out ahead of Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says that we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works so that no one can boast. And then in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for the good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then, then it was for God's purposes that you've been called into that relationship. God has prepared work beforehand that we should walk in that way. You know, God has a plan for us. It's a predestined plan for us. And knowing His will is rooted in knowing who we are in Christ. Last week, Pastor Dan introduced uh, this series, and he taught that we are currently in the church age. You know, we have the responsibility for telling others about what Christ did. And then if you missed the message last week, I would encourage you to go to our website or listen to our podcast and just kind of prepare yourself for what God has for us as we move to this great book um, this summer. But this morning, it's important to know that knowing God's will uh, is dependent on knowing that God has a plan for us in spite of our circumstances. 
So I don't know if you recognize this or not, but this is a fallen, broken world. You don't have to look around far to see that uh, things are just really messed up. The world's messed up. Our relationships are messed up. And God has a plan in, for us in spite of that because we who we are in Christ. As messed up as the world is, that's not the way God originally designed it. Originally, God had placed Adam in the, in the garden and they were in God's presence and things were great, but sin entered into the world. And because of that sin, we all are going to have trials and tribulations and we're going to have things in our lives that we're forced to wait on God for us. He wants to reveal His plan to us. It's because of sin that's entered into the world that we experience brokenness. I'm convinced that waiting is because of the sin that has entered into the world. We have to wait because we no longer have access to what God's immediate plans were. We have to wait for Him to reveal them to us. And so waiting is something that we have to learn to do as a result of who we are in Christ and in spite of our circumstances. But the good news is this, that God does not leave us in this broken world. If we repent and we believe and we place our faith in Christ, then our relationship with Him begins to grow and we begin to recover what that original design was. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Because of who we are in Christ, we can move past the brokenness, experience new life, and begin to pursue and recover God's original design for us. Through Christ, our relationship with Him is being renewed and restored. And and that's the church age. That's the message that we've been entrusted with to share with others. It's the church age. It's the responsibility that we have for helping others to explore and discover all that they can be in Christ. You need to know that God does have a plan. He has a plan, and, and you can know His will In our verses today, in chapter 1 and verses 12 through 26, we're going to find four principles for how that early church was able to discover and live out God's will for them. As we look at at the replacement of Matthias as the 13th or the 12th new apostle. Four principles that we're going to look at this morning for how we can know God's will. The first principle is that we need to be men and women that are committed to prayer. We need to be committed to prayer. If you brought your Bibles with you, you can turn to chapter 1. We're picking up with verse 12. It says, in beginning in verse 12, that the disciples returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered there, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas uh, the son of James were all present. As you read on in verse 14, it says this, With one accord, all of them were together, devoting themselves to prayer, together with all the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brother. All the disciples, 120 of them, had all gathered together to pray. In the midst of this opportunity that they have to come together, there's so many things that they could have done. You know, I would, I would imagine that, um, that all of the disciples had returned to Jerusalem with some mixed feelings. I mean, if you think about this, they had just got through witnessing the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm sure that was an experience that they could have all talked about. They'd been with him for 40 days after he had returned from the dead. And he continued to teach them. He was with them for 40 days. And then at the beginning of the book of Acts, we saw last week that the disciples were sitting there as Jesus ascended into heaven right in front of their eyes. 
I mean, what a, <laughs> it's amazing to think about all the things that they had seen together. Now they come together to figure out what does God have next? You know, last week we saw that Jesus told them about the kingdom of God and the coming church age. He didn't tell them everything. You know, there was a lot of questions that they still had. They wanted to know if he was going to restore the kingdom of God. They had so many questions for him. Jesus told them it was not for them to know the dates and the times and the hours that he was going to return. They were to do one thing. They were to wait for the Holy Spirit to come on them so that they would receive power to be witnesses. That's all they had to do. And so it was the first thing that they do when they got together. They got together to pray. And Luke puts out in, in verse 14, he says, they were all together with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. Together with all the women, Mary the mother, Jesus and his brothers. The whole family was there. All the disciples were there. Everybody was to get together and they were praying with one accord. What does it mean to be praying with one accord? To be praying with one accord means that there was a unanimous, agreed upon idea for what they were going to be praying about. Not only did they all get together and pray, but they talked about what they were going to pray about, and they were all together in one mind. With one mind, they were all praying the same thing. They were with one accord, and they were devout in their prayer. What does it mean to be devout with something? That means to be undistracted. It means to be focused. And so they were with one mind, and they were focused and intentional about praying. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever had something happen in your life that you thought, I am going to, with one accord, share with the people around me, and we are going to have a focused, extended prayer time about a specific instance going on in your life? I know so many of you got so many things that are going on in your life. I have so many things going on in my life. When was the last time you stopped to say, hey, I'm going to, with one accord, with one mind, the people around me, devote myself to prayer? That's what these disciples did. I'm not sure exactly how they were praying. I would have loved to have been listening in on that, wouldn't you? you know, how were they praying? What were they praying about? I would imagine that they were praying along the lines that Jesus had taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Remember at one point the disciples wanted to know how to pray, and Jesus actually told them specifically this is how you would do it. So I would imagine that there was some focused time around prayer based on the prayer pattern that we find in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I would imagine the disciples were focused on who God was. Even though we don't understand, God, we are praying for clarity. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You have the plan, and God, we need you to reveal that to us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, there are so many things that we could be doing together. God, may your will be made clear in our lives so that we can know what to do next. Give us this day our daily bread. Let us not be worried about tomorrow. Let's focus today on what God has for us today. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Our relationship with God is based on and rooted in our forgiveness. We, are, we pray that, that we would be able to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. And so relationships were a critical part of what they would have been praying for. Lead us not to temptation but to deliver us either. Help us not to be distracted. Have you ever sat down to have a prayer time and five minutes into it, something pops into your head or the phone rings? I mean, we're constantly distracted by things. You know, lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Help us to stay focused on what you would have for us. You know, the first lesson that we can learn from the disciples is they go to replace 
Matthias, is that we need to be focused on prayer if we're going to be able to discern and know what God's will is. 120 people in a room asking for what's next. You know, can you imagine what those 120 options would have been like? I mean, we need to know with certainty what God's will is, and we need to pray for that. If we're going to know God's will, we need to be committed to prayer. Two, we must rely on God's word. We have to rely on God's word. 120 people in a room, and they're all praying for something. Can you imagine what the conversations would have been like if they were trying to figure out how to narrow down choosing a, an apostle? You know, if that was me, I'd be sitting there, I'd be thinking, okay, well, we have 12. We've got 11. Can we really do it with 11? Do we really need to be, do we need 12? I mean, 11 guys here, you know, we, we were there, and, you know, do we need to pick another one? I mean, how would you replace Matthias? You know, a good question that I think I would have asked would, hey, does Judas count as number 12 when Jesus returns? I mean, he was a disciple, right? And so when Jesus returns, is, is he not a 12th disciple? And so I can imagine them talking about, you know, how to replace him. Do they need 11? There's 120 people. If we are going to replace him, do we pick a man? Do we pick a woman? There's 120 people there. I mean, how would you select one disciple to replace Judas? If, you, in fact, we're going to replace him. I would imagine somebody would say, well, maybe we should wait till after the Holy Spirit shows up to make the decision. I mean, there's so many different opinions about how to do something as simple as replace one disciple that it can be a difficult task, can't it? Have you ever been in a group of well-intentioned people that, and you might be all praying and, and the ideas are flowing and you're sitting there thinking, wow, what did that idea come from? <laughs> I mean, how would you pick one disciple? How could you know what God really wants to do? Listen to what happens, starting in verse 15. It says, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all about 120. There was 120 people sitting there. And he said, brothers, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to all those who arrested Judas, for he was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share of ministry. He was a part of us. It goes on to say that Judas was this man. He now has acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, Falling headlong, he burst open the middle of it. All his bowels gushed out, and, 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 it, and the field became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his office. And so whether or not they were to place Matthias just got taken care of, was it? Scripture says that somebody needs to replace him. And so in the midst of all these ideas, if we really want to know what God's will is, if we look to Scripture, we get some clear direction. See, Peter shows them everything that's happening is a part of God's plan. And while the death of Jesus might have still been a mystery to the disciples, you know, it's always been a part of God's plan for redemption. All throughout the Bible, Romans 5, Galatians 4, 1 Peter you know, Revelation 13, the Bible is filled with the fact that Jesus had to die on behalf of man's sins as a part of God's plan. God has a plan. Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, Jesus himself said, look, one of you is going to betray me. You're going to betray me just as it is written. Peter stands up in the midst of this crowd and explains to them Old Testament prophecies that go all the way back to David. And he shows them where it was fulfilled in Judas. And he quotes Psalm 69 and 109. You know, these things all happened as a part of God's plan. We need to find someone 
to replace him. And while it appears to us that the great tragedy might be in Judas's life, the statistical improbability of yet another prophecy being fulfilled in Christ points us again to the hope and to the reliability of what we have in the Word of God. If we're going to know God's will, we've got to be focused on God's Word. When God's Word is central, it's there that you're going to find people that are doing God's will. When we're talking to God through prayer, that's our asking in Him and and saying, God, please do this. That's our talking to God. But when we get into Scripture, that's God speaking to us. And so if we want to know God's will, we have to be in God's Word. If we want a life, if we want a family, if we want a church, if we want a community that is doing God's will, we must encourage one another to read, to study, to apply, and to live out God's Word. The better we know God's Word, the better we're going to know God's will as a result. Let me ask you, how much time do you think you spend on your cell phone? Maybe watching TV, playing video games, sports, activities. I'm getting ready to watch the Indy 500 today. Anybody else going to watch the Indy 500? I love that. So I'll spend an hour and a half, two hours doing that. How much time do you spend doing extracurricular activities? That's funny, I got my cell phone out the other day. I was trying to fix something. My battery kept dying. And I got online to find out which apps were using all my battery life. And right there at the top of the screen, it tells you how many hours you've been on your cell phone since the last time you rebooted. Has anybody ever seen that? (laughs) That was a lot of hours I spent on my cell phone. It's amazing the places that we spend our time. So I want to ask you this. How difficult would it be in the midst of everything we got going on, how difficult is it for us really to find an hour, maybe two hours, to get involved in a small group? Maybe just spend some time in God's Word? Maybe do a devotion? You know, the God of the world, the God of the universe, gives us His plan and His will, and it's in God's Word. What would it take for us to spend time in God's Word? That's one of the most important things that you can do with your time is getting in line with what God has for you and getting to know His will. It's so simple to know God's will. I can't tell you how many times, I just don't know what God wants me to do here. Well, have you prayed about it? Yeah, I've been praying about it. Well, what did you find in Scripture? What? You know, that's where God's will is revealed. So think about those circumstances, those things you have going on in your life, and look down through what you can find in Scripture. You know, you go to the back. I love the back of our Bibles. It's got maps. It's got, it's got concordance. It's got a list of topics. You can go to the back of a Bible. If you're trying to figure out how to have a relationship with your, your, your husband, your wife, your parents, your son, your you know, relationships with others, look at the word relationships in the back of your Bible, and it will tell you all the passages that you can look at that will talk about relationships. You'll get a good concordance. I mean, <laughs> it's embarrassing how integral Google. I mean, I, I can Google anything now. It's like Relationships Bible. Man, I get a list of Bible Hub pops up or the Blue Letter Bible. There's just there's no, no reason for us not to be able to see what does the Bible have to say about specific areas in our life. I want to encourage you, if you want to know God's Word, be in prayer, be committed to relying on His Word. If you're going to be in God's will, the third thing that you should do is you need to clarify your options. Clarify your options. I can't tell you how many times I've been with someone or even in my own life uh, that even without number one and number two, uh, even if they've done that or not, that there's almost no time thinking about writing down and thinking about options. You know, if you want to be in God's will, it's useful, beneficial to clarify some of the options that 
God has for you. Look how Peter frames this up in verse 21. Peter says this, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they, and they put forward two men, Joseph and uh, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And so Peter stands up and says, okay, well, what are we looking for? And what are some options? You know, it might look like this. If we were going to replace Judas, we know that we, we have to look for a man. We have to look for a man who has been with us, has been with the 12 other disciples. And so they're looking for somebody who qualifies it. We're looking for a male. It must have been with Jesus and the disciples from the beginning of the baptism of John until the day that Jesus was taken up. So not only are we looking for a guy, but we're looking for somebody that's been with us, somebody that has seen the beginning of Jesus' ministry from the baptism of John up until the day that Jesus was ascended. And so whoever was sitting around there when Jesus went up would have been one of the qualified individuals to replace Matthias. Most important, whoever we pick must be a witness to the resurrection. They have to be able to say, I saw this with my eyes. Don't want any hearsay. I want somebody that can stand up and say, I saw this with my eyes. And so he identifies three specific requirements. And out of this 120 people that have gathered together, only two people show up as being eligible for replacing Judas. That's Joseph and Matthias. You know, think there's, in Luke, you see 70 people sent out in pairs. Here you've got 120 people praying together. How would you find a replacement? You know, how was Judas replaced? What are the requirements? What are the options? Let me ask you this. What are you going through right now? Do you have something going on in your life? You know, maybe you've just graduated from high school and you're thinking about, hey, colleges. Or maybe you're coming up on colleges and you're looking for jobs. Maybe you have a job and you're trying to think about another job. Maybe you just lost a job and you're looking for a new job. Maybe you've got some things going on with your family, your husband, your wife, your spouse, your friends. Think about the things that are going on in your life and and ask yourself, what are some of the options for me based on those circumstances in life? You know, be in prayer. Get others to pray with you. Look what the Bible has to say and clarify some options. You know, I'm not talking about what color should my cell phone cover be. I know sometimes sometimes some of the smallest decisions can kind of trip us up. Should I get the green one? Should I get the red one? <laughs> I was talking, I have a friend of mine that I've talked to. Every time I talk to him, how's things going? Oh, it's great. Everything's great. It's like, really? Man. And then after a couple, you know, this has been going on for quite some time. Every once in a while, I don't even want to ask because everything's always going on great. Well, man, I just want to say it's not going great in my life. What are you doing? We've all got something that's going on in our lives. God's got a plan for all of us, and knowing God's will is not, it's simple, but it's not easy. There's so many things that work against us. You know, if you think about all your family, your relationships, kids, folks, spouse, you know, think about your finances. You know, what's the first thing that pops up in your finances? Look at your, look at your checkbook. The first thing that you see there is what your first priority is. You know, where are you going to spend eternity? What have you done with Jesus? Where do you fit into the body of Christ? Every believer has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And so when you think about all the areas that God speaks into our lives, how do you know with clarity what God wants you to be doing? There are so many different options. You know, I've been through so many things, just in my own life, just just things that sometimes things happen to us and they're just painful. 
know, I've been through some, you know, some things with my kids that have just been painful. I've, been, I've had kids in car accidents. I've had accidents. I've had, I've had so many things happen within the context of just my own kids that sometimes that can be overwhelming. You know, I think about some of the things that my wife Carolyn and I have been through just personally in the last several years, from a head injury to cancer to different things. I mean, Carolyn and I can sit down and just, just God, where are you in this? You know, if you think about things that, uh, you know, maybe the loss of a loved one or a parent. You know, we have both uh, lost our parents. My dad's still with us. But, you know, just the loss of a parent, a loss of a loved one, that just sometimes it just, you know, especially when you start thinking about how, it's like, where is God in that? That's one of the things I love about, you know, our grief share ministry. Deb Wanless does a great job meeting with grief share. It really meets people in a, in a place where you've lost a loved one. I encourage you to check that out. You know, sometimes we're going through something difficult and it's just, you know, God, where are you in this? You know, God has a plan in all things, not just some things. God has a plan in all things. What are some of the things you're going through? What are some of the options? You know, I can remember my mom uh, just, uh, two years ago uh, passed away of a disease. It was a form of Lou Gehrig's uh, ALS. It's called inclusion body mitosis. And I can remember when she first got diagnosed, uh, it just it kind of throws everybody off. And so, you know, we sat down and we prayed about it. We searched scripture about it. We came up with some options. And, and uh, you know, we spent some time talking through, you know, what are we going to do with this? I mean, you read online, you look online, it's like, oh, you know, this, it starts telling you about what this is going to look like. And, you know, nobody wants to look at that. And so, you know, we put together a plan. It's like, you can come stay with us. You can stay with Gail. She was by the grandkids. You know, we moved her back down to Texas. Uh, you know, we were, we were always kind of thinking about, praying about, kind of thinking through, you know, what God had this and, and uh Working through options is so important if you want to make sure that you're in God's will, especially because it gives you something to talk to other people about. I can remember on that last, the last conversation I had with her, um, we were talking about, um, you know, where's, where, you know, where's God in this? And I said, you know, I have learned so much about God's character as we've gone through this together. It seems strange to be able to say it was a gift, but I just really appreciate it. It was an opportunity for me to be able to talk with her. And I said, you know, I went back to Scripture. I said, you know, in the Bible it says one day to God's like a thousand years to us. I said, if you think about it from that perspective, you're going to get up there and I'm going to be right behind you. You know, I think you, you turn to God, there's so much comfort to be found in God's Word. You know, we come back down through here and we talk about how great the Bible is. And I love, I was watching um, Steve Ruckey, uh, is over in Hawaii, I'm looking at all these pictures and every once in a while I go, like, oh man, I wish that was there. I just have to keep reminding myself, heaven is going to be so much better. You know, Scripture informs how we think. It changes us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about our minds need to be renewed by the transforming of our minds as we meditate on Scripture so that we can find out and test and approve the will of God. You know, we have to be in prayer. We have to be in God's Word. And we need to evaluate the options. You know, if you want to know God's will, do those three things. And then the last thing is this. Number four is we need to trust God with the outcome. We need to trust God with the outcome. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that that one is probably the most difficult. That is the hardest thing. There's really not something for us to do. I can go be in prayer. I can go read the Bible. I can, I can, I can go write down some options. But number four, trusting God with the outcome can be the most difficult. But if you want to be in God's will... You have to trust him with the outcome. Why do you think that's so hard? Why is it so hard for us to trust God? Well, because it's not always what we want, number one. 
uh, to be in God's will might not align with what we want. And so if you ask me what I want for a specific situation, it might be completely different than what God wants to do. And so I have to trust God with the outcome. If I have been in prayer, if I have been in the Bible, if I have listed some options and I've had other people praying about me and I step forward and trust God with the outcome, and I'm stepping out into God's will, I'm going to trust Him with the result. He'll make some corrections along the way if they need to be corrected in our lives. But there's a plan, and we just need to trust the plan. It's difficult, though, because his plan's not always our plan. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to do number four is because we want our will, not God's will, be done. But that's not what the prayer was, Matthew 6. And that's not what it means to live out, living out God's will. It means that we're going to do what he wants, not ours. And I think the other reason that's difficult is, you know, sometimes we second-guess ourselves. Am I sure? Well, maybe I shouldn't have done that one. You know, maybe it shouldn't have been Matthias. You know, Joseph was a pretty good guy. And we start to second-guess ourselves. And that is not trusting in what God has. When God's given you clarity through prayer, Bible intake, options, wise counsel, you can step out in faith with that. You need to trust God with the result. You can step forward in confidence that this is what God has for us. You're stepping out in faith. It's being sure of things hoped for, things unseen. You step out in faith and you trust God with that outcome. I think something else that makes this difficult is is that Satan doesn't want us trusting God. There's a spiritual attack that sometimes can happen. I've had an opportunity to pray with several people that have made faith commitments this year, and I've told them, I've said, I I can't emphasize this enough, how you're going to start to experience a sense of people pushing back against you and about your faith commitment. You're going to have friends that ridicule you, you know, and I try to share my faith story. You know, when I made a faith commitment, the first thing that happened to me was I ended up getting new friends. <laughs> you know, it is amazing the spiritual attack that somebody will face when they make a faith commitment. It's amazing the spiritual attack that will happen to somebody when they step out in confidence about what God has for them. Satan doesn't want you there, and there's an element of spiritual attack that we must be prepared for. Beginning in verse 24, Peter says this. He says that we all pray together. This is Luke recording this. He says, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the other 11 apostles. You know, we have to know that God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. It's God has the plan, and we need to step out and be obedient to the one to the choices that he helps us make. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. I love the idea of casting lots. Interestingly enough, um, the Holy Spirit comes on us as believers. You don't see a lot of lot casting right now. We have the Holy Spirit. But, you know, when you think about that casting lots, I can't, you know, have you ever seen one of those eight balls? Should I do this? And you flip it upside down. That was something I grew up with. I never did understand. When I was younger, I was like, man, is that real? How does that work? What does it mean to cast lots? It was, a biblical, it was a biblical way for them to get a sense of how God was answering questions. And so we don't cast lots today, but that's what they did in that time. And they cast lots, and uh, the lot fell on Matthias, and they had to live with God's choice. Sometimes we have to live with God's choices. If we prayed about it, and we searched Scripture about it, and we looked at the options, we have to live with what God's will is. And that's what we learn as 
we looked at this lesson from the disciples of how they replaced you know, Judas with Matthias. We just have to trust God. So four principles that I'm hoping that will you know, help. These things really helped me. I'm hoping that they will encourage you this morning. I know that so many of you are going through difficult times and trials right now. You know, on your, uh, inside of your um, program, Pastor Matt mentioned that welcome slip. I want to encourage you to uh, tear that off. If you've got something that we can be in prayer for you about, I want to encourage you to take some time to write that down. Maybe you've got a decision that is looming. It be something that you're struggling with, something you want some clarity on. Ask for us to help you be in prayer with that. You know, if you need some help trying to find scriptural references, if you're not involved in a small group, I encourage you, if you are, to go back to your small group leader. Share with them some of the things that you're praying about. Look at scripture with them. Talk about options with them. You know, our small group ministry is an, an integral part of our of our church ministry. It's not just something that we do on the side. They're an important part of our ministry. It's how we encourage and grow and equip one another. If you're not involved in a small group, uh, I just want to encourage you to be praying about that as we move towards the fall. I know we have uh, three uh, new small groups that are going to be starting as we move towards August. And so we're going to be going through the book of Acts. And then when we get to August, we're going to have a chance to live that out in our small groups. And so I want to encourage you uh, to try to get connected to a small group if you haven't found one. Small groups breathe life into us. And so we want to encourage you to jump in to get into a group. If you're serving on a ministry team, uh, you can talk to your ministry team leader. You know, find somebody that you can share with and pray with and learn with and grow with. That is the church life. It's about encouraging one another. It's about growing together and about being a part of what God has for us together. And it is so exciting to be able to step back and know when we're in God's will. And you can know you're in God's will if you do those four principles this morning. I'm sure there could be five. I don't know. But I know if you can focus on those four, that those will help you to really narrow in on knowing God's will um, for you. I just want to uh, encourage you to take some time to fill out that welcome slip. If you've got questions, if there's something that we can help you with this morning, uh, be sure and let us know. If you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, um, that is step one. You don't have to pray about whether or not that's your first step because that is your first step. Some things you don't have to pray about. That's one of them. If you do not have a relationship with Christ this morning, on the back of that welcome slip is a place for you to say, hey, look, I want to know more about a relationship with Christ. If you're struggling to find God's will and and you're not clear about your faith commitment, then then that's going to be step one for you. And so I want to encourage you to just indicate your interest in knowing more about Christ if you're interested in a small group. You know, we are here as the body of Christ to help you be able to experience and live out God's will for your life. We're so glad that you were with us today on this Memorial Day weekend. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you that you listen to our prayers. God, I thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to encourage one another. Uh, God, I just thank you for this body of Christ and for the great work that you're doing here. Uh, God, I pray that you would just continue to draw each of us closer to yourself. We want to be in your will. Uh, God, help us to trust you um, with each area of our lives. Um, God, I look forward to all that you have for us as we go through this series together. Every day that we have is a gift. Every breath we take comes from your hand. Uh, God, just help us to teach us to number our days well. We look forward to all that you have for us together. In Christ's name, amen.